Are you an author, poet, comic book creator, or an artist? Do you have a novelette, novella, novel, poetry book, comic book, graphic novel, or art books that you thought about publishing, but you don't have the cash to self-publish? Well, this is your lucky day. Announcing Dark Myth Publications' second annual Open Contract Challenge. Currently, we are accepting submissions for round one, the pitch. No matter what type of book you have, send the judges your pitch by 11.59 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, April 30th. So what do you get if you win? I'm glad you asked. Third place winner will receive a $50 Visa gift card. Second place winner, or the runner-up, will receive an e-book contract for publication through one of Dark Myth's brands, plus a $100 Visa gift card. Grand prize winner will receive a contract for an e-book and a print publication through the Dark Myth Publication Division, a full distribution market circulation for a year. Also, you'll receive a $200 Visa gift card. Cool, right? But we're not done yet. As the winner, you will also receive a round-trip airfare and hotel accommodations to California to be part of the second annual Jayzoman Pop Culture Expo for the signing of the book in 2021. And now that I have your attention, go to www.opencontractchallenge.com and enter to win. Enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Hey there, this is Ralph Garman, and you are listening to the World of Myth Bits. You made an excellent choice. The World of Myth Bits. Ah. Paco Aramburu. Paco Aramburu. Someone Else's Dreams, Part 2. Now, I know you had to go back and reread Part 1 yes. from last month before you read Part 2. Yes. So, my what thought did you think? on it. Well, number one, I thought, and I. If, if Paco hears this, I want him to message me because I I am willing to bet money that he is a Ray Bradbury fan. Because, yes. <laughs> because his the overshadowing of Ray Bradbury and the articulation of his comments and the words, I'm like, holy crap! This is I'm reading Ray Bradbury, and you know, throwing little things and like Maison Sin tells me also that he has neither worked in the film industry or he has a, a deep knowledge of theater and, and you know film as an art form because not too many people know what that is. And him kind of pitching that in there kind of tells me that he he's, he's just putting a little bit of who he really is outside of it. But it... In his bio, he was he did begin a career in movie directing in the late seventies. Ah, uh, see, I, I have to admit that I'm the type of person I don't read the bios. I totally go in to the story because that's what matters to me most, and the story is what tells me who you are. I don't know. I'm just weird yeah. like that. Yeah, the whole bio no. thing was actually Terry's idea back in 2004. He's like, we need some bios. <laughs> I'm like, no, that's more code for me to do. He's like, we need it. Like, All right. Now, what did you think of the imagery of um, his, wait, hold on. I just had it. Ah! Okay, right. They move into this house, and it's the painting. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, what did you think of the imagery of the painting? That being the focal point of the power. You know, it, it almost... I I guess this is how I associate things in my head, is I associate with different things. Um, okay. Ghostbusters 2, there was that painting 
of uh, I can't think of the, the, the main. Oh, uh, uh, Vigo. Um, um, Vigo yeah, was yeah. the guy painting it. Yeah. But I I seen that type of of you know the size. It was huge, and I seen that. Zul was the person. Uh, that was the yeah, I know. Uh, but that type of background, that that burning background. But instead of the the warrior, I saw this lady. You know, um, it gave me the heebie-jeebies, kind of. Especially, especially I was reading it like I don't know, midnightish. So everybody was asleep, and and you know, just you, you get that that creepy. I, I was just. It was really well done. I love the whole how the cross, the golden cross of Jane, comes into play. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew. Oh, I almost gave it away. I'm not going to give it away. But um, yeah, you know, never trust CEOs. Wait a minute. Nope. What am I saying? <laughs> that would be you. <laughs> What am I saying? Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it, and I love the way he wrapped it all up at the end. Like, it's it was up. I'm one that Slappy likes the tying. I, I'm the one that likes the tying up of loose ends, but he did leave enough threads to make you go, "Ooh, wait a minute." Hmm. Yeah, it's it was really good. I really yeah. enjoyed it, and I was so excited for part two because where it left off in part one you're kind of like ah and then part two it's like boom you're right into the middle of the action there's there's no easing you in there's no, it's just you're there i i love the fact that I'm, I'm trying to remember cecil cecil the he plays this character cecil the dog and, and the the owner the ceo yeah. Refused to call him by his name. He always called him Cecil, Cecil the dog. It doesn't matter who yeah, you are outside was, of I that. think his name is Chuck. Yes, Charles. And, yeah, Charles. Um, it was, uh, I don't know, I just, I really liked it. I think it was one of those type of stories that could literally be transformed into at least a novelette and it would still leave you wanting more. Yeah, yeah. It was very good. And that's, Someone Else's Dreams, Part 2, by Paco Aramburu. And now we have another Part 2. Yes. Well, okay, I will say, this is this one is one of my favorites. I will admit, this one was one of my favorites. And that is All Log Cabins Are Haunted, by Patrick Quinn. And this is Part 2. Um, so if you've read part one, you already know about the clock. This magnificent clock. Sucker's huge. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, you, you think about what this clock does, and it's a whole lot bigger than it actually, even though it's big. Yeah. That was one of the ones um, that I had to go back and read the first on. And this is absolutely one of the best stories that I've read in a very long time. Um, I'm, I'm not familiar with Patrick. Um, so he when contributes. I, when I jumped in and I read the first part, and it, you know, fast paced and the introduction of, of the, the main protagonist and him sitting at home and just chilling and he's post divorce and he just wants to be left alone and then he gets the, the clock. Now this is all from part one. And, I'm like, okay, where's this going? And then, and Leo. <laughs> yes. Um, let me <laughs> jump into some of my notes here. Um, it made me think of now, depending on how old our listeners is, but now Richard is the main protagonist. I imagined Errol Flynn. That's where I went back. That's where my imagination went back. Yeah. Like it was yes. like an old Errol Flynn type 1950s esque type adventure story. Um, let's see, what else do I have? It, it had that classic feel, and I want more. Absolutely. It says, um, you know, with Aaron, who, you'll find out who Aaron is, and of course, mm-hmm. Leo and Richard, I would like, as the owner of the world of myth, 
publicly saying, I would like more, more stories with those, those characters. Yeah, I, I love Leo. I will just put that out there now. I love Leo. And I mean, anybody who's listened to my podcasts know if I happen to really like a character, I will tell you, I really like that character. Ask Jeff. He knows how I feel about Draven. We all know how you feel about Draven. Uh, He's my hero. I love Draven. But I really, really like Leo. I, I adore Leo. I'm not going to give any way, any more away than that because Leo comes as a surprise. So if you're listening, Patrick, I want more. I sincerely, <laughs> I want more. I, I enjoyed it. Full, all, from, from the moment, I'm like, okay. He bought a clock, and now he's hearing things, again, from part one. And to the very end, uh, you know, where the, the little surprise, like, surprise, yep. I get what I want. So, yep. so more. All in this, all in his favorite place in the entire world, his log cabin. Yep. So, yeah. And who, and who was that one more time? Patrick Quinn. All Log Cabins Are Haunted, Part 2. Uh, all right. And I do believe that takes care of... Yes, it does. That takes care of our fantasy section. Now we move on to your favorite section. Horror. What you saying? And, <laughs> and our first story up is From the Other Side by Matthew... Chicono. Um, it had a very folklore feel to it, like a story that would be passed down in a family. You know, right. grandmother tells grandmother, grandmother tells mother, mother tells daughter, and so on. Um, it was well written, and I did enjoy it. It gave me an insight into um, places like Mozambique and things that like that that I didn't culture. have before. Yeah, right. into that culture that I didn't have before, and I found it very interesting and um, well written. I I found it. I, I was now. Again, me being me, I, I you know, I, I openly admit I don't know anything about that culture or, or anything that is very limited for me. So um, I actually, you know, some words and, and some places, I, I literally had to Google to kind of get that visual image. Um, and, you know, that's that's kind of the risk you, you take when you use an actual place that is like, okay, for me, writing a story saying, okay, I'm driving down Highway 18 in Apple Valley, California. Unless you've been there, you can't visualize that in your head. And um, mm-hmm. that was kind of part of the thing that I had. I did have some 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 rough tides with with the translation uh, into English. I thought he did do well. He, he wrote well uh, because, from what I understand, obviously uh, English is not his first language. But I, I felt that it was it was good. I understood what was going on, and the end, how it concluded on that twist, kind of surprised me. Oh, I didn't kind of. It did surprise me. I'm like, oh wow, crap. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, because there's that that underlying cautionary tale again yes. with the battle between the almighty dollar and Mother Nature, and what is it really about? Which one wins? Yeah. Okay, so that is From the Other Side by Matthew K. Chicono. And if I mispronounce your name again, I say I'm sorry. Next one is a a new, another new contributor. Um, Yes. Most of the contributors this month were new. They they outnumbered our regular contributors. Oh, I know. I know. I know you know. <laughs> uh, let me say this to the contributors of the world of myth, and and I I have a gut sneaky feeling that the people do not know this, 
if you have ever submitted to the World of Myth, you have a contributors page. You go to contributors, you click on the letter of your, the first letter of your last name, you find your name, you click on your name, and it gives you the updated bio with everything that you've ever submitted. So every time a new contributor comes, I have to build a new page. So when we have six new contributors, not only do I build the pages for their content, I also build a page specifically for them. So mm-hmm. with with uh, Mr. Jones, Walter Jones, uh, welcome. He's another one that I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, his piece is called Therapy Sessions. And holy cow, man. What a ride. What a ride. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. I'm going to my notes here. The, the very first thing, that's what I put. I put my first initial was, wow, intense story. Um, it, it pulled me in right from the get-go. The pacing, the fast pace makes you anxious. And there's a part where, um, there's a part with, with the character, he has a knife and he's going from room to room and he goes into his daughter's room. It literally caught my, I caught myself, my heart was like, it was pounding. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 no! <laughs> because I, I have, you know, I have two daughters. I mean, I have a son and a daughter, but I have little girls. So there's a, a special place in my heart of tenderness for the children, the little girls, the daughters. And he was able to reach in and touch that and, and almost caused me, uh, you know, made me anxious. And it yeah. was, it was really. And then at the end, you're like, wait a minute, what happened? So yeah. I did, I read the ending like three times and I'm still not a hundred percent sure. I'm like, so wait, wait, what, what was, <laughs> what was real? What was fake? What, and, and one of the things that I was taught early on in, in writing, like when I was first got into writing is if you read something, and you're laying in bed that night and you're still trying to ponder about it, you succeeded as a writer and, and being a storyteller. And Walter succeeded in being a storyteller because I laid in bed and I shit you not, I was in bed and I was like, wait, it just blew my mind. That was the story that I was thinking about going to bed. It was just like, wow. So well done. Welcome, Walter. Great story. I enjoyed it. For- for me, this story, um, yeah, I was I, on the edge of my seat, and I'm like, ah, no, 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 what are you doing, what are you doing, what are you doing? And then, you know, the whole hallucinations, and, and he wakes up, and it's, well, wait a minute, okay. It was very, for me, it was very reminiscent of one of my favorite movies, and it's called Identity. Mm. I don't know if you've seen it. It's John Cusack. And at the end of the movie, you find out that the entire, everything that happened within the movie was created in the head of this psychopath. Oh, that's always fun. Yeah, it's, it's, and it was, that was, when I got to the end of the story, I think that that's the first thing I thought of is, okay, is he creating all of this, like everything? from the nightmares to what he believes is his real life to, you know, when he sees his wife kissing another man to everything. Is, is that the all? The daughter running up to him, yeah. Yeah, it's like that. Is that all created within his head? Was he even, you know, like, the bas- the whole thing with the basketball player and the bum? Like, yes. The bum. Is that all created in his schizophrenic or whatever mental ailment he has, has that all been created in his head? The entire everything. And he's fighting within him his own self. Yeah. Or was it just like, was this, you know, the old saying of, you know, if you die in your sleep, you die in real life. Was it, did he finally go to sleep and did he die in his sleep, that which made him die in real life. He didn't, he didn't wake up from the nightmare. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So you so, see, well done, Walter. Like, you've got us tossing down hypotheses here on what <laughs> happened. Yes, yes. That was just yeah. well done. Well done. Um, you know, and it's, it's really fun because as it, a reader. You, you do too. have, and that, that hypothesis, like, did he die? It was it a dream. Because you have that whole scene with the cop that shoots him in the head. Yes. So, you know, like, what happened? So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Kudos. Kudos, Walter. Kudos. That was really good. Because we've discussed this story before we actually are discussing it now, too. Right. It, it was... So that's, that's yeah, uh, I was again, and it, it's really fun to to be away from the magazine like I've been, and I, I openly admit I've been away from the magazine and dealing with other things, and to come back and to find these amazing contributors and the 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 qualities that you guys are putting out there is absolutely mind-boggling. I mean, it, it's like. Share some of that talent with me. Come on now. <laughs> uh, tap into that. Yeah, for real. But yes, I mean, I, 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 as a whole, and I'm not saying this just to, you know, to, to blow smoke up anybody. It's legitimate. I felt that the content of everything that we had in this issue was just amazing. It was just Wow. Yeah. Okay, so moving right along. Next. Speed of a herd of uh, speed of a herd of baby sea turtles running towards the water. It's all those. Hard. We have Dennis. <laughs> we have Dennis Desmond, another newcomer. Yes. And his story: dinner is served, and. There's a very, very, very good reason why this one is in the horror section. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I although thought... I, I did have to, I I did have to laugh at the carrot top. Because I saw carrot made... top. <laughs> yes, so did I. <laughs> so did I. The entire story. Every time I saw carrot top, that's who I saw. Was Carrot Top? Yes. So me here. Yes. Same here. Um, yeah, it was just really. You're wondering where this goes because he's essentially well, they're they're vampires, a father daughter vampire, and mm-hmm. so again tapping into that whole father daughter thing, you know, because of me being a widowed father of daughter, and, you know, so I'm like, okay, you you. you I've connected to that character that way, and then him talking about how he he's given up, you know, drinking human blood since what the Revolutionary War, and then you find the connection and you, the, the carrot top character. It was just, it was really well done, and I I did I, I admit I had to read the last line twice just to confirm. I was like, wait, 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 okay, yep, nope, yep, so. nope, dinner time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I did. I, I mean, I, everybody knows I'm not a horror fan. I am though. But there was there was enough humor woven into it, and I think this is why it's good that that you're in on this because you are a horror fan. Oh so yeah. So you absolutely. can appreciate you can appreciate the horror aspects of the stories where I'm kind of going, yeah, you know what? It's I'm not reading this late at night. It's not happening. Well, no. see, the funny thing is, is when I was reading this, I was hearing uh, the characters from uh, Hotel Transylvania, because uh, have you seen those cartoons with uh, Adam Sandler as Dracula? No, I have okay. not. Well, he is a widowed father of a daughter vampire, and that's who I heard in my head, and obviously I didn't see you know, the, the animated characters, but when they spoke, that's who, who I heard. And uh, <laughs> I, I really, I don't know, I enjoyed this one. It made me laugh and it made me smile. Um, 
and just enough morbid humor where I was like, yeah, right on. So, well done. And it, it, it did offer a new twist on vampire canon. Now, most vampire canon, most vampire rules, they can't tolerate food, they can't tolerate garlic, sunlight, right. yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. And I mean, in recent years, those um, hard and fast rules for writing vampires have slowly changed. And in the, the fact that, that he has... The, the fat, well, even they couldn't eat food. They didn't eat food. Um, the fact that his vampires, <laughs> the fact that his vampires could tolerate small amounts of food gave them that little bit more human quality, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. little bit of an edge to be able to blend in with better humanity. within mm-hmm. a human society, you know. Meanwhile, their dinner's walking around on two legs, <laughs> giving them the berries and the roast beef and all of that stuff. So, yeah, I enjoyed that. And, and yeah, like I said, every time I saw Karatov, I read Karatov, I saw Karatov, and I laughed because, you know, <laughs> somebody needs to twist his little head off. Just saying. And that is Dinner is Served by... Dennis Desmond. Okay, now we have another newcomer, A. Stump, and Vita Postmortem Part 1. Now, let's see, this one... I have to look... This had a very, um, 1950s British feel. Okay, yeah, I got you now. I'm back. I'm on the track now. It took me a second. Welcome back. Thank you. Um, yeah, it, it, to me, it, it pulled me right in. I mean, of course, you know, it was like, how do I explain it? It was, um, it was like taking the Goonies and taking the kids from it and and meshing them. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Because the Goonies were all well. See, I didn't really. It wasn't really Goonies for me. It was more Lost Boys. The the two Corys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the comic book dudes. Yeah, yeah. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Because they're all about finding the monsters. Yeah, of course you have it. Those are vampires. Yes. Um, but, yeah, yeah. Have you seen Stranger Things? No. Oh, you need to. Uh, you know, if it was, seriously, and I'm not being funny here, if it wasn't like 2 o'clock in the morning, so it was like 5 o'clock in your time, when I read this, I legitimately wanted part 2. And I'm going to have to wait, like everybody, to get part 2. Except which... for me! Is he Canadian? Ah, oh, yes, Erie, Pennsylvania. So okay. they have cottage roll. Just when he described the ham... Um, near the end of the first part, they're going through um, where the guy keeps his food, and yes, that everything. Was, that was nasty. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it just it made me wonder because I pictured a cottage roll when they were describing the ham wrapped in the netting. That's a cottage roll. Um. Yeah, poor Emerson. <laughs> poor, poor Emerson. <laughs> Don't throw up right. in here! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one I kind of had to read in bits and pieces because that was, that was, yeah, that was gross. <laughs> so how many, how many parts do we get of this one? Uh, two, I believe. Oh, really? He wraps it up in the next one? Okay. Yeah. 
I was hoping for more, but okay. I I really I really enjoyed it. Um, like I said, it 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 pulled me into like Goonies and the the kids from It, and I'm curious to find out what happened to Bobby. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Rub it in. I'm not gonna tell you. I'm not gonna tell you. <laughs> so that's Vita Postmortem Part One by A Stump. Well done. Well done. And now we have Letting Go by one of our regular contributors, Don DeBrail. Yes. Now, Don, Don has a knack for writing creepy. She can write creepy and not have the, um, like she can write horror without a lot of the elements that horror needs and still gets that horror feel across. <laughs> if anybody knows me, and, they know I love zombies. So as soon as I was like, zombie, yeah. I was like, Yay! Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, you don't, I mean, you know right away that Ma's a zombie, but they don't come right out and say it right away. I mean, she's still treated as a member of the family. I, I, I mean, yes, she is kind of used as, you know, security. <laughs> guard, guard dog, I believe is the reference, wasn't it? Guard, yeah, guard mama, guard dog, because I mean her screams keep the rest of them away. But it doesn't. It's not your typical zombie story. No, where everybody's running for their lives. No, they've got zombie ma. Down in the basement, chained up, and they gotta listen to her scream because she's hungry. Um, and you feel sorry for her. Like, I you did. Do. I felt sorry for her and what, what she had to endure and, and what the family had to endure through this. You know, that, that can't be easy. But it's, it's what they know. And then, you know, they make that I don't know if it was a choice or a mistake with the basement door. At the end? Yeah. Mm. I mean, a Pa Pa made the choice. He did. He did. Um, I think... I don't think it was a mistake. Well... If there's a part two and she chaws down on somebody, then yeah, that's a mistake. But uh, you know, it, as as of just being concealed, they left. So, yeah, but concealed the one story. You know, they they did. They got out. They they had the happy ending. All of them did actually, because you know, Maul didn't end up being in the the basement. She got free and she got fed, and nobody. <laughs> That was a heavy sigh. Go ahead. Do you disagree? It wasn't really, it, well, it wasn't really a happy ending for me because I had this image in my head of, you know, when people move and they leave their dog behind. Mm-hmm. They just open the front doors and they leave their dog behind to forage and run. That's, to me, that's kind of what they did with Ma is they just, they fled, but they left all the doors open so that she could just, like a stray dog, just go. She was an unwanted dog. Interesting. I I didn't even see that, but yeah, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. Huh. Interesting. Somebody should make you an editor in chief. You're, you're pretty knowledgeable. I know, right? <laughs> Maybe you should do a podcast once a month. Yeah, really. But uh, so, great yeah. visuals. I I seen the whole thing as a movie. And yeah, um, yeah. It, that would be that would. That would be an excellent movie. Yeah, like I, I had the whole farmhouse and the larder out back, everything. I could see that all in my head 
And I'm like, wait, I want one of those. <laughs> I, need, I need a larder out back. Um, yeah, it was very well written. The, the imagery that it, like, you're reading it and you're seeing it play out in your head. Yes. Like, you're, I, you're watching it as you're reading it. And again, anybody that knows me knows I love zombie stories. And, and this, yeah, you do. It's, uh, you know, when you, every time, because, you know, a zombie story is, is not anything but new. So when you are able to bring a, a fresh approach to something old, uh, you know, it's, 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 not only does it give you the credit as a writer, but, you know, it, it, it gives you, as a reader, something fresh and new and exciting to, to comprehend, you know, in that genre of romp. Well, I say, well, sub-genre, because technically it's horror, and sub-genre would be zombies. So. Yes. So that would be Letting Go by one of our regular contributors, Don DeBrail. Well done, Don. Yes. Sucked me in again. <laughs> and that completes our horror section. So now we move on to action and suspense. Yay! <laughs> and we have Neo Exodus Part 2 from Matt Lucas. Now remember, he was the winner last month. And this, and that was on Part 1 of his story. This is Part 2. This is the culmination. Oh wait, no, it's not the culmination. My bad. <laughs> Because there is a part three. Now, Neo Exodus is pretty much um, battle with the Nazis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's taking place in anybody the 40s. Who, yes. Anybody who's looked into any writings on the Nazis, there were rumors that Hitler did have necromancers working for him. Yeah. And occultists working for him. So having that actually written as a story sucked me right in right away and i do believe i said this last last month that anything about hitler just fascinates me yes um now part two sees more of what's going on like you're getting more of the action in part two but you're seeing more of the political agenda and more of the chaos and the fighting that's going on and how things, how you think things are going to start playing out as the story starts wrapping up. And I mean, you're bringing, now you're starting to bring in things like Griffins and it's, it's right. really starting to take shape. Like it's almost got a fantasy feel to it, but it's wrapped up in that historical element and the action of what was happening during that war. Right. Um, a, a little bit of from my notes is that, um, of course, it's just it's action-packed right from the get-go. And this is another one where I had to go back and read one and then read two. And um, I really liked... The, the mythology to it, you know, pulling in, like you said, the Griffins and, and the, the, the whole weaving it into World War II, which is probably one of the most interesting time frames in humanity in modern era. And, you know, of course, adding the Nazis into it and then taking the mythology and taking like biblical verses and, and kind of weaving it in how they, they mentioned, you know, that the soldiers were essentially the modern day equivalent to the ten, ten plagues in, in uh, Exodus. And, yes. You no, know, you have to. It, it's it was really well. It, I I was into it, and you know when uh, uh, what was his name Roberts the the main character Robert I believe Roberts. Yeah. Uh, I'm sad to see him not being. Uh, then he'll well he'll probably have a very low play into part three, but 
he was my favorite character, but that and the guy with the axe, yeah. that was just hardcore. I was like, yeah! <laughs> I have to say, I was, I was loving Anubis. The way Anubis was portrayed in this, because he's not perfect. He's, he's not all powerful. He's not all almighty, you know. Right. He's, he's, near the end of this part, he's firing these fireballs and they're, they're not having much of an effect on his foes, except maybe a mild distraction so that everybody else can move up behind him and, and Gita can bring the tanks up. But, you know, Anubis is supposed to be this big Egyptian god and have all this universal power and you know here he is dropping on one knee firing these pitiful little fireballs and I it just it made him real for me yeah having that human quality to him so yeah um, I enjoyed it another one of my lines and this is just my personal favorite um, was the line about how uh, how his god didn't wear eyeliner I, I admit that made me smoke a little bit. That made me laugh. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, that was good. Because all Egyptian gods wear eyeliner. Yes. They're all, they did. They wore charcoal. All Egyptians wore charcoal. Well, the rich ones, anyway. But yeah, I was, it's really good. And there's enough, like the, the dialogue as well, the conversations between people and what they're saying to each other is very real. It's, it's, Yes. What you would expect they would be saying and how they would be talking and, you know, it's yeah. not. They forced. have their own individual. Yeah, they have their own individual yeah. voice. I just found your favorite line. Excuse me, but there's only one God and I'm pretty sure he doesn't wear eyeliner. Yes. <laughs> that, was, yeah. that was a fantastic line. Yeah. Pharaoh was not pleased. Pharaoh was not pleased. <laughs> so I, I personally look forward to part three. I really do. Yeah. yeah. You'll enjoy it. I rub it, it in. Rub it in. <laughs> <laughs> there are there have to be perks to being editor in chief. And luckily for me, we have not had a writer who is sent in a long story like this one and not given me all the parts at once. Me? Now, if it's, well, yeah, there's you. No, you were writing a series. There's a difference. This is, this is a story that will be wrapped up in three parts. Right. You were, and I got all three parts. Just say it. Same with Vita Postmortem. I got both parts to that. So this is Neo Exodus Part 2 by Matt Lucas, and I highly recommend if you haven't read Part 1, go read Part 1, because it won Member of the Month last night, and it, last week, last night, last month, wow! I'll get there eventually! Last month, for a very good reason, because it's good. It's very good. So this yeah. is Part 2, this is Part 2, and next month will be Part 3, and that will be the conclusion Next we have, in action and suspense, The Black Mask by Steve Carr, which actually inspired you to doodle. It did. It absolutely did. Um, it, this is my interpretation of Steve. This is Steve at his best. He, When he taps into these types of stories, these suspenseful stories, he is a master at suspense and crafting whodunits and building the tents and, you know, building to the very moment where he pulls the trigger, pun intended. And I, I was just like, yeah, I, I literally, you know, I took a, a little moment from um, reading because I, I literally, I, you know, I read all the stories yesterday. So it took me quite a few hours to read everything and, and uh, as I was just kind of resting my eyes, because, I, of course, I read them on screen, um, I just started doodling. And the, his main character was what hey, came. Hey. 
Dave, yeah. Yeah, I want, that did, I was like, huh, I, I, I wonder. Because it wasn't David, it was Dave. I was like, oh. yeah, it was Dave. Okay, Steve, I get you. But yes, um, this was just, when you go back and you reread it, you're like, there is all the clues laid out for you to the, the ending. So, yeah, yeah the ending. Oh. oh, yeah, that was so gross. I loved it. Yeah, there's one thing that's going to give me the heebie-jeebies. It's going to be maggots. I'm just, yeah. oh. <laughs> you can't, our listeners can't see me, but I am, like, cringing. Physically cringing right now. Oh. But oh, honestly, nice. I mean, this is, this is, uh, this is Steve at his best. In, in all sincerity, I, you know, when you, when your art inspires somebody else to create art, that says something. It really does. And, uh, I, I, I will probably read it again, to be honest with you. Just to, because there's like, like I said, there's so much put into it getting to the end that I picked up as soon as we got to the end that I actually went back, did a skim through to make sure that, you know, I wasn't making that up in my own head. I'm like, oh, yeah, because okay. when you get to the end, you're kind of going, I was to- so totally not expect, I did not see that coming. No, you don't. You don't. You but, know, like, but that's not another one going back to what I was saying earlier is, you know, if you can make people think about your story after they read it, that tells, tells me the quality of you as a storyteller. And, and yeah. And I think one of the things when you're reading the story that, like you said, you had to go back and reread it. Well, I did when I got to the end and I'm like, the light apes. Wait a minute. The lights. <laughs> because when the black mask attacks, the lights go out. And you go back and you read. And there's Dave asking, I think it was Laura, how her lights are. Oh, at the diner, yeah. At, yeah, but asking about her lights at home. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it kind of makes, oh, wait a minute. So yeah, it was it was really well done. I enjoyed it. For you know, a horror story. <laughs> that one that had maggots and actually did give me the heebie jeebies. Yes, I, I again I, I say that when it comes to this type of story, Steve is this is where he's at home. And it really comes through in his writing. Yeah. Yeah. This is, he shines here. This is his forte. And there's not a whole lot of dialogue in this story. No. No. It's, it's true storytelling, not story talking. Yes. Like, he's telling the story and letting the actions and the things that are happening and going on and what Dave is doing throughout tell the story instead of trying to tell it through the conversations between the interactions that Dave's having. And you don't get the dialogue till pretty much the end of the story. Yes. Good job, Steve. I really enjoyed it. That's The Black Mask by Steve Carr, one of our regular contributors. And then we have... Yay! (laughs) One of my favorites... Liberty's Run, Part 8, by Walter Esselman. I have it on good authority that this story is not over yet. Okay. Um, I, as anybody knows, I love the Liberty series. I have gone back and I have read them all. And... This one kind of keeps you, there's, there's a lot of action that happens in this segment and it keeps you on the edge of your seat all the way through and I, 
I've really enjoyed it. I'm um, I'm looking forward to the next one. And I do have to say, like I, I I do have my favorite characters in series, and in this one, it's Uncle Danny. I love Uncle Danny. I'm I, if anything happens to Uncle Danny, I'm going to be very upset. But I love the way Liberty kind of she's she's taking. You can tell she's starting to get tired, and you can tell things are starting to wear on her. Um, and they're just doing their utmost best right now to survive. And to run into um, Bordeaux again, that was that was just... I squeed. <laughs> I squeezed. Because he is such a colorful character. I think also what should be noted, too, is that uh, there's some communication being made with the aliens as well. Yes. And and from what I've read, I think that was kind of the first time that there was actually a human-alien type of communication and understanding. So I know, well, I can't say no, but... I, I think I know enough about Walter's writing that he, he puts, you know, important things in there. And I, I think that that little scene, even though it was downplayed, may lead to something bigger, if that makes any sense. Yeah, you have to, you have to read the subtext in, in what he's writing. There's a whole lot more going on than. Yeah, there's. He a, drops little, he drops yeah. little hints. Little, just like a comment from Uncle Danny, or um, something that Liberty says, or something that Small says, and it's just one line, and you kind of got to oh, wait a minute, <laughs> I got to pay attention to that. Where did that come from? <laughs> because it'll be it'll be brought up again in the next installment of the story, and it'll make more sense. But yeah, there's a lot of subtext. Oh, oh, and this uh, is this is kind of a med run for them. Yes, that's what I was getting ready to say. Is they're they're still engaged. Well, they're plus, uh, you know, of course the zombies, which was fairly limited this time around. Um, well, yeah, no, they had the alien birds this time. They were dealing with the alien birds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, <laughs> I'm looking over my notes here, and of course the. Still getting supplies. Uncle Danny and Liberty engage in more zombies or zombs. Uh, Uncle Danny talks with the aliens. That's that's pretty much what I have for this one. Um, again, it, it feels like this is a setup for something big, and I, I, I have a gut feeling that something heavy is going to happen next time around. Just anyway. the way that the pacing's going. Yeah, and and the fact that they're trying to keep as much almost normalcy you know thanksgiving's coming they're starting to plan for christmas like they have hope that they're going to be able to celebrate some kind of a christmas but keeping those little normal things in a world that is completely not normal anymore you know where they're, they're fighting for their lives almost on a daily basis because liberty was legitimately while they're trying to not die, she's legitimately stressed out about missing Christmas. And exactly, I thought that was a, a good a good touch to that too. And he's like, Uncle Danny, of course, he's because, like, no, no, it's you know, if anything, we're closer to Thanksgiving. And, yeah, um, because she's worried about wanting to give Colin the best Christmas that she can. Which is, you know, she wants and, to because it's his first Christmas. And, yeah, I mean, it, again, it's just, there's so much that Walter puts into this and, and so much con, uh, subcontext that's added, you know, the depth of his story. There's, there's just so much to take, intake. And I, I personally will say that once this is completely finished, um, I will read it as an entirety. 
just so I can get everything that he puts into it. Because he puts a crap ton of, of stuff into it every time he, he produces. Yeah. Yeah. So. Good job, Walter. Another one knocked out of the park. I know he's a baseball fan, so that's why I use that analogy. Still had to kill off Bordeaux. But, I mean, he did bring him into this one, so. Okay. So that is Liberty's Run, Part 8, Volume 2 of the Liberty Schronauer series. Alright. And that wraps up Action and Suspense. Now we get to move on to science fiction. Yeah, great, great stories in science fiction as well, too. Well, you're a sci-fi fan, too. Yeah, I am. So, this is A Deal Too Good to Be True by James Rumpel. And I'll let you take this one first. first crack at it. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Um, that's what you get for trying to bargain with an alien salesman. Uh, he just, he just lost all the way through the story. Uh, you, you almost think he went, okay, now first, he, he gets this, this device that allows him to see what, 15 seconds into the future? 8 seconds, isn't eight it? Seconds. Is it 15? I thought it was 8 I, seconds. It may have been 8 seconds. And, he just, okay, so you're thinking, well, number one, eight seconds is not a lot to work with. So, let's see. I'm trying to, trying to. I'm just double checking the time to see how long it is. That's what I was going to check. Okay, go ahead. But anyway, it might so, be it might be longer. So Andy, who is the main character, he's he's kind of he's down on his luck, and he comes across, and as a trade, he um, he gets. He meets this alien door-to-door salesman, literally, and uh, he gives him this device. That, yes. 8.2 minutes. 8.2 minutes. into 8.2 minutes. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, again, that's not a whole bunch of, uh, you know, time. And so he takes the device, and every time that he tries to use it in his favor, he's, it just blows up in his face. And... and <laughs> At He's one point, luck. yeah. At one point, it kills him. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, his heart stopped. So it killed him. Yeah. Not, not the device itself, but him trying to. <laughs> oh my god! But I and, think, yeah. Therein lies, um, again, one of Cut. those cautionary tales. Be careful what you wish for. Yeah, or you know, he was trying to use it. He was trying to use it for greed. He wanted money. He wanted to cheat at cards. He wanted to cheat at horse racing. You know, he wanted to get the girl at the bar. Yeah, <laughs> but he only got to he only got to see eight minutes of the conversation, so he didn't get to see what happened after that. You're right. Which probably would have been a good thing. It could have, you know. Saved him. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it was it was uh, it was equally a, a sci-fi comedy, and yeah, he, he just Andy could not get a break. <laughs> no, no, nope. Not all kisses are kisses. Sometimes it's CPR. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, when that scene happened, I'm like, okay, so how is this going to play out? You know, the line that he, he saw in the future of what the girl says to, you know, what actually happened. I'm like, so how does how is this, what she says, going to play out in real life? And the way that uh, he weaved it together, I'm like, oh, that that's very that was very smart because it does. Oh, oh yeah, it, it fit perfectly in both situations. The situation that Andy thought was going to happen, and then the situation that actually happened. So, well done. Yeah. Well done. Yeah, that was, that was hilarious. Poor Andy. So, that was A Deal Too Good to Be True by James Rumpel. And 
Again, cautionary tale. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Never trust a salesman. Especially for alien. Yeah. And now we have The Hideout by James Bates, which is, I do believe, the fourth installment in his sci-fi installment. There are ten installments. And this one, in the last one, it was mostly about Karen. And, um, I mean, we know that her husband has taken their son. They live in this this um, apocalyptic, dystopian world where the government has now, um, your life, you're allotted so many years. And then your time is up. And by doing certain things, you can lose years off of your life. So the kids are taken from the parents and they are raised somewhere else and the parents have to go to work and they live somewhere else and you're allotted a certain amount of time to see your children and um, to take them to, like, they took, I think his name was Quinn, took their son to the museum, which kind of replicates what the world is like now in this dystopian future. And now in this one, we're seeing Karen is actually going to go and join her husband, Quinn, and their son, Matt. And she's making all of the preparations and she's doing everything that she can to try and get there and not get caught. Um, and they do finally, the three of them do finally get together as a family. And it just, it really makes you kind of look at where the world is today and where we're heading. Uh, um, you know, COVID-19 aside, but with our almost insatiable pursuit for um, what's the word I'm looking for? Technological advancement and how quickly mankind is spreading and, and using up our natural resources and using up available space, just available space on our planet. And you can really see something like this happening where you know, eventually you are only allotted so many years to live, and then you're done. That's it. You're done. And I, I totally actually see that happening in real life. And, and I did not realize that this was a continuation to other stories. I went into it as just a whole individualized story. I didn't know that. Um, That's so. the way James has written it, is each section is a standalone story. Mm-hmm. but it's woven into a much larger tale. So, and I, I apologize because I, I did not know this, and I will be going back to read. So is it all with Karen and Quinn? Yes. Okay. okay. Karen and Quinn are the main two throughout. So you start, the first one, I believe you start with Quinn, and then the second one is Karen, and then it's Quinn and Matt. You meet their son, Matt. But each story stands alone and reads as its own story, but it is a larger, there is a larger story, story arc. Yes. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. Well, I, I approached it, you know, as an individual story, and I thought it was uh, mainly a story about, again, like how you're saying that us as a society, we're trying to be so advanced over the next guy that we're willing to sacrifice what we love the most, which is our children, our offspring. Um, and this story as a, a father and a, a mother just saying enough is enough, we want a child. And I, I really, it, it pulled me in. And, and you know, I, I was, I, I was nervous when, uh, when the, the world order cops, uh, you know, he came in and, and was searching the backpack and, I, I literally, I felt myself nervous because I'm like, you know, every child needs a mother. 
know, and I'm like, oh, come yeah. on, come on, come on, especially when they're hungry, you know. And, 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 and if she gets when, caught, she's yeah, she's going to lose time off of her life. Yeah, they will remove years from her life. And you know, of course, Quinn telling his son Matt, you know, just you know, just a little bit longer, just a little bit longer, you'll eat here soon. It, it again, I I have a thing for children. Um, I'm just a big softy when it comes to kids. And that just, it kind of broke my heart, you know, seeing a kid mm-hmm. hungry, you know, even if it's just in my imagination, you know, seeing a kid being hungry, just like, aw. Yeah. And I think one of the parts that got me the most, because, I mean, you see it today with, I mean, not necessarily with this specific example, but just the things that we took for granted as children and we're seeing it in the next generation, they have no clue what it is. And it was the part where Karen was explaining to Matt about a picnic, a simple picnic. And he had no clue what a picnic was because he'd never been on one. He'd never heard of it. He had no idea what a picnic was. And in this technological age, you can see us racing rapidly towards a generation that isn't going to know what throwing a blanket down on the grass and eating out of a basket and chasing off the ants. Yeah. <laughs> They're not going to know what that is. They're not going to have experienced it. Unless they've played it in a game or seen it on Facebook or something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that that really struck me. Because I know with my grandkids, we try and the other grandparents are all about the electronics and the the big expensive toys and the, you know, all of that stuff. And then when they come here, we're about taking them outside in the backyard and teaching them how to grow a green bean. What the different flowers in my backyard are just growing wild how to harvest wild oregano and dry it and grind it up and put it in your spice cupboard. Because I have this weird patch of wild oregano that just sprouted up in my backyard. But if we weren't teaching them that, who would be? Right. It'd, it'd be a, a lost, forgotten. Yeah. 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 Cooking, for heaven's sakes. I can't Cooking is a lost art. <laughs> Sewing. No, I can't either. Sewing. You find one, even 20-something-year-old that knows how to properly sew a button back onto a shirt. Or fix a rip in a pair of jeans. I mean, yeah, I know you can go and buy jeans that have a ton of rips in them. That's the thing now. Came back from the 80s. But, I mean, our jeans were like that because we wore them. To look like that. We didn't buy them to look like that. But just the basic things like sewing and cooking and and balancing a checkbook. Because everything's online. So that, yeah, that whole picnic part really hit me. It, It really struck a chord with me. So well done, James. That was... Yeah, I look forward to and and this is one I can honestly say I do not have all the pieces. I have to wait just like everybody else for next month. So yeah, well done, James. That's the Hideout by James Bates, and that concludes our science fiction. The world of myth, bitch.